Morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our, our service here, 1030 service. If you have a copy of the Bible, uh, we are in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so you can open up to chapter 5 or turn it on, Nehemiah chapter 5. We'll get there in a minute. This is, as Karen mentioned and others, uh, this is our time of the year in October to celebrate, to highlight, to hopefully encourage you to engage in, uh, with our, our international partners. Uh, I think, there's, as Karen said, there's 12 of them here, and they're around the campus today, and uh, they will be tonight and this week. And uh, um, we are back in the book of Nehemiah, but we're, we're going to, it's a message titled Sacrifice and Mission, one that will um, acknowledge the importance of mission, theirs and ours. So follow along if you have a copy. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute, Nehemiah 5. If you didn't get one of these, uh, here we are on our, our fourth week of this series. I want to encourage you to do that. You can still grab one on the way out. I think on both sides there's racks. This is a full, we don't always do this, but all of the uh, studies in this eight-week series with uh, sermon outlines and small group guides, some other resources want you to be doing that uh, with uh, uh, groups, uh, small groups, individually, uh, men and women groups that are happening over the course of these weeks. Please join us. Some of you may know, because I've said this many times, uh, that I served, speaking of missions, for one year as a, a missionary uh, around the turn of the, the century, 21st century. Uh, it's interesting to say that now. Um, around the year 2000, in the former Yugoslavia. Some of us don't even know what that means, but South Central Europe, a series of countries that used to be called Yugoslavia. And it was one of the most challenging experiences of my life, I would say, that year that I served as a short-term missionary. Um, but it was also one of the most fulfilling experiences. I was thinking about it this week, and I thought to myself, you know, although I'd already been in ministry, gone to seminary, was a pastor for five years before I went there, I kind of look back now and say that was really where I, I kind of think I had my calling uh, to, to ministry uh, confirmed uh, was actually when I was already in the ministry in that place. It was very, very challenging, so many challenges, also very fulfilling. One of the challenges um, that really comes to mind as I think about it is actually kind of a, a, a challenging story. It's, it doesn't put a smile on my face but it's relevant to this message this morning. It was right near the end. I'd been there for a year, and some of you may remember this. There was a series of wars. Ethnic cleansing was a term popularized in that, in that season of wars in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, I was there with a, doing a work with a Christian NGO, non-governmental organization, that was helping homes, schools, clothes, buildings, houses, all in the name of Jesus in a, in, in a challenging environment for many reasons, Muslim country, um, but near the end of that, I had a, 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 an experience that really um, sobered me and challenged me, perhaps more than any other I'd had the whole year. We were finishing up this, this closing down this program after we'd run it for almost a year. Every morning we would gather together, um, and it was two or three or four of my missionary partner friends, and then about a dozen other leaders that we'd hired from the community that were, you know, had become almost like little a family. And they were, you know, members of the community. They were, they were um, Muslim background, not, not Christians, but they were part of our family and part of the work that we did. They were employees uh, of this small mission. 
And every morning we would get together the same thing, have a little something to drink, and we would talk over the day, what's our sort of you know, plan for the day to distribute food or clothes or whatever the case may be. We might have a small prayer, uh, and then we would move on. But this one day, it was just before we closed the program, one of the guys before it started who I knew um, came up to me and said, I want him to talk to me. And he said, listen, it's been great. This has been an amazing thing for me and my family and really appreciated all that you've done, but I have to tell, I have to be honest with you um, and tell you something that's hard for me to say. And I said, what? And he said, "Um, over the course of this year, um, some of us, not himself, um, who have been working with you, delivering food, clothes, um, stoves, building roofs, he said, some of us have been stealing from you and from our warehouse uh, all year long. And I, uh, it's burdened me. He had not done it, but he said, I just want you to know about it. And I'll tell you, I can't, it's hard for me to, to, to tell you the emotions that I felt. Certainly I had a sense of anger uh, at that. I had a deep sense of disappointment, even some shame and, and humiliation in a sense, because I thought to myself, wow, this is what I've been doing. I poured my, my life into this. And I had all this sense that over all these many obstacles out there, that we would face every single day in doing this work, uh, external obstacles. Uh, Never did I dream that this kind of thing was going on. Um, And it really sobered me. And it made me even feel like, you know, I, you know, the whole thing had been for naught. Well, Nehemiah is having one of those moments. And if you've been following us along in this study for the first four chapters, we're at the halftime. It's sort of halftime in this, in this project. It mentioned it in chapter four. Half the wall was built. In most of the first three chapters, they're looking at you know, all the different um, out external enemies, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's actual threats. We talked about this last week. But sometimes those external enemies can actually buoy and strengthen you as a family, as a church, as a organization because you're, that, that, the opposition strengthens you together. But sometimes when the proposition or the, I should say the problem comes from within, well, it's a different story. And that's what happens here. In Nehemiah the f- 5, the walls recede just for one chapter from view and it's the structure of the community that's thrown in sharp relief and it's the community actually that is at risk. Uh, you know, as we prepare and talk about the REACH initiative, to reach a new generation of Browncroft. We will have external uh, opposition. I talked about it a little bit last week. But we'll also have the internal kind also, the kind that comes from within our own ranks, the kind that comes from within our own hearts. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. First point in this message, if you have a copy of the Bible, is unity is essential uh, for success in the mission. And we'll see that in these verses, Nehemiah 5. Follow along as I read. 1 through 9 of Nehemiah 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Apparently a famine going on. Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money and pay the king's tax, remember they're under Persian rule, on our fields and vineyards. Now it gets a little bit uh, more personal. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, 
Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. The poor, pointing a finger at the rich, this is within the Jewish community, that they were um, not being uh, uh, so um, helpful uh, in this uh, crisis that they were all having. Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery, that is slave labor. They had to farm out some of their kids to stay alive. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others, in this case, other Jews. When I heard their outcry, apparently Nehemiah didn't know this, and, I, and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. Let's call them the rich folks. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have, been, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Before this time, Jews were, part, were, were, were slaves for some of the Persians in the, in the region. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies, the people outside the wall um, that they were building. Now, half the wall was built. I mentioned that in chapter 4. But what Nehemiah is realizing, right? When he says he's angry, I'm going to take that to say he didn't know this practice was going on, right? It was kind of a, you know, shock to his system. He was very well-schooled in difficulty. He seemed to do very well with challenges. They didn't surprise him. He, he slept in his clothes. We learned this last week. He slept with a sword at his side. He wasn't uh, 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 averse to conflict and opposition. But when he finds out that the people who are really putting this at risk are not the outside enemies that are easy to uh, imagine, but there are some people that are 10 and 20 and 30 feet down the wall from him, it really uh, makes him angry, all right? The rich, as it turns out, or at least the nobles and the officials, were charging interest uh, to the poor on some of their loans. Now, let me say a couple things before we throw the rich under the bus. Number one, what they were doing, we'll see this in a minute, even Nehemiah lent out food and grain to others, was not uncommon. Right? It wasn't uncommon in the first century any more than it is today for people to not only to lend currency but to lend um, um, other uh, forms of um, uh, 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 means, you know, uh, property, and to and to take uh, surety, uh, uh, collateral. It was not unusual. Number two, it was not unusual even to uh, charge interest. We'll see that what they charge in a minute is only 1%. I would say that's probably a good deal even in their day. It was a modest charge. The problem was that Nehemiah was so upset. Not that it was unusual. Everyone around them did it. It was common practice in the ancient Near East, not only among uh, Jews. They probably did it. They did it long before Nehemiah chapter 5, but among other nations. But the charging of interest was prohibited in the Old Testament covenant, right? It was one of the many laws that was prohibited. And much of what you learn about Nehemiah, and you learn about this in all in Ezra and in, in, in Esther, these, is, the, is the people of God are very humble at the end of the Old Testament. It's not just this. There were many laws. Many laws that you and I might think are, are foolish. Maybe it has to do with foods. Maybe it has to do with marrying people that are not Jewish. There are many laws that the Jews had long since forgotten about. Right? They, 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 were, they, hadn't been, they, hadn't, they hadn't celebrated the Sabbath, we'll find out later in this book, 
for generations before the book of Nehemiah. But this law was one of them. It was not unusual, so much so. It was so a part of everyday life that these people who are being called on the carpet here, they weren't naysayers. They weren't mercenaries. They weren't, you know, people out there trying to make money. They were people, they were 10 and 20. They were part of this project. They did not even appreciate that this practice they'd probably been doing for years was actually putting this project at risk. But I want to say something about this law that's in the Old Testament, buried there in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that says you, should, you can loan stuff to your fellow Jews, loan them money, loan them um, clothes, loan them property, but don't charge them interest. It wasn't done because it was an evil thing to charge interest. It was done... Because, because it was an opportunity out there where the real testimony is lived, out where the, where the real gospel is preached, right? The people that we want to reach in this community, guess what? They're not in the service today. They're not church-going people. In the real place where you and I can preach the gospel, that is live out our faith in everyday ways, is where you live. It's how you conduct business. It's how you manage your family. It's how you manage your, uh, your relationships in school. It's how you do life. That's, what you're, that's, that's where the gospel is preached. In the gospel, the Old Testament had a number of laws that seemed foolish to us, but they were all about demonstrating and preaching the gospel in everyday ways. And one of those was that when Jewish people, which was very common to loan money, to loan clothes, to loan out vineyards, when they did that in the Old Testament, come and said, listen, when you're dealing with your other fellow brothers and sisters in the faith community, I want you to take a personal hit. You could charge interest. It's very appropriate. But I want you never to charge interest because when you don't do that, the people around you recognize that and it says something about the character and the quality of the God that you serve. That's why they did it. Okay, That's why they did it. That's what they were called to do. And so what Nehemiah does is this. He's angry because he realizes, good night, I've sacrificed, these people are sacrificing, this thing is so tenuous, we got all kinds of enemies, we're just barely making it, literally, they're sleeping in their clothes, you saw this last week, and they're sleeping with a, with a firearm at their side, right? They're taking it seriously, and he wakes up and he says, even my own people are causing a problem. But what does he do? Great uh, leader, he, it, verse 6, he doesn't just go off in anger, right? What I might do or you might do. He doesn't just, you know, say, I'm the king. Oh, sorry about that. All right. <laughs> I'm the king and, I can, and I'm the governor and I can do what I want to do, right? I can just kill a fly anytime I want. No, but I'm the king, right? He, 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 he does this. Great leadership demonstrated here. He says, I pondered these things in my mind. In other words, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to get cool-headed about this. And I decided, verse 7, to call together a large meeting. Now, why does he do that? It's very important. What does he do in that? He says this. I have the power. I can just go ahead and say to these guys, I'm the governor. I'm going to take you aside privately, the nobles and the officials, and say, listen, what you're doing is not right. You're hurting this program. I order you right now to return that interest and get right. He could have done that. But here's what would happen if he would have done that. I'm sure they would have complied, because they comply anyway. We'll see this in a minute. But it wouldn't necessarily have brought this community together, right? It's, have you ever been in a room, maybe in a business or in a church, 
and you're, you're in the same room, you're on the same team, you're in the same class, you're in the same pew, you know, you, you're, you're doing something together, but your hearts are not united. In fact, if it wasn't for this team that you sit on or this church that you're a part of or this small group, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want anything to do with this person. You wouldn't choose to be near them, right? That happens a lot. But that's not, you're never going to accomplish anything great for God if there isn't true unity. So Nehemiah says, listen, I'm not going to do this in a public meeting, a, pr- a private meeting. I'm going to call together a large meeting and I'm going to do two things. Verse 9. I'm going to say in front of everybody, everyone's a part of this, number one, we need to live in the fear of God. This is not about me or my power as the governor. This isn't about my reputation. This is about God. And number two, very importantly, not only should we live in the fear of God, but we should avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies. What does that mean? Saying, listen, don't you guys remember, know what this is all about? This isn't simply about building a wall. This wall represents something. It represents the name of God being reestablished. It represents the covenant of God being reestablished. It represents the presence of God. And it is all about the Gentiles. It's all about the people that aren't here yet. And everything that we are doing to reestablish worship in Israel, everything that we are doing, friends, here, trying to restart, re-excite, re-energize the mission of this church is about reaching people who aren't here. And our testimony, how we live out the gospel in everyday life is absolutely imperative, right? Because the, the majority, overwhelming majority of people that God has called us to reach, they're not coming here as a first step. They're gonna see it in how you live and how I live. And that's what Nehemiah says is at stake here. Let me just read one verse, New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, one of the most um, you know, uh, comprehensive chapters in the New Testament about what you and I call the body of Christ. It's kind of a, a, an interesting term. But it's, it's the church. And what you and I sometimes can't appreciate, because it's, church has been around for 2,000 years, is how incredibly unusual the church of Jesus Christ is when it started. In other words, just like today, racism is a big issue in our own day. And we live in the enlightened West, right? Racism is a problem um, racial tribal conflict is a problem. It's, look, think of our, our, the world that we live in, even in good old U.S. of A. Well, listen, it was even more of an issue in the ancient world, if it's possible. And people, whether they were Jewish or Gentile, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were uh, you know, re- black, red, white, whatever the case may be, people de- did not mix. It was a very tribal world, even as it is today. But when the Church of Jesus Christ came along, it was something that people had never seen. One of the most amazing things about the church of Jesus Christ, look at the book of Acts, was that people who had great animosities, who would have nothing to do with each other, who would never invite, who would never eat with each other, who would never hang out in the same places together, these kind of people would come together and praise and worship God and that alone said something that they had never seen anywhere, right? Anywhere. And Nehemiah says, listen, this is what's at stake. This is what's at stake. And Paul says these words when he's trying to explain this community called the body of Christ. Saying, listen, if one part suffers, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, every part suffers with it. Now this is radical theology. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. He's saying, listen, you've never lived this way. I've never lived this way. But if we really want to see the outside world, the Gentiles, that's what this word they used in Nehemiah, the people who don't know, if we really want to impress, they're not going to be impressed by a sermon. 
They're not going to be impressed by some cool music. What they're going to be impressed by is the gospel that's actually lived out when people who would have nothing to do with each other are loving each other in a way that they normally wouldn't do. And that's what Nehemiah is calling the task. So number one, unity is essential, which means you and I need to care and identify with one another, even though some of us, and all the more so if we want to be a growing church, are not going to have a lot of common with some of the others of us. It's when we decide to do that. I'm looking at Gary, including our, our, our deaf community, right? Or all, you, all kinds of community. We need to love one another, Jesus said. By this, by this will people know that you are my disciples, right? Number two, heart of this message, a greater sacrifice will be required by us all. This is really the heart of this passage. And this is why Nehemiah is such a, a great um, leader. Verse 10. Look what he does. I pondered, I thought about it. Now what am I going to do about it? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. Nehemiah was lending. I don't think he was charging interest. He wouldn't have been so angry about it. But he was lending. It's not, it's not illegal. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Watch this. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests. He wants to make it official. That's why he has a public meeting. And made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So such a person uh, may be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said amen and praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. Now quickly, a greater sacrifice will be required. Nehemiah does something here that is amazing and it's such an, it should be a lesson to, to us and to any of us in any leadership capacity. He takes a problem and he turns it into an opportunity. See, the problem is this. The, the, some, the nobles and the officials, because they had means, they were doing what was very common, very, very common, which was mortgaging fields, charging interest on loans. And Nehemiah says you shouldn't do this. Number one, the Bible says you shouldn't do it to your fellow Jews because it's, 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 it's harming the testimony of Christ. But number two, it's really hurting this project. But, that's not, but here's what he says to these guys. Listen, not only do I want you to give the interest back, right, verse 11, but I want you to do something more. See, there's times in life where what God has called you to do is going to require you not just to do what's right, but to go beyond doing what's right. It's to, it's to make a greater sacrifice. And what he says to these guys, if you're looking carefully, give them back the interest, but give them also, verse 11, their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and the interest you were charging them. Saying, listen, I want you to give that interest money back because you should never take that in the first place. But I want you to go a step further. Those fields, those vineyards that you've taken as collateral to those loans, I want you to give them back also. Where much is given, much is required. And some of you, not all of you, have the means. You have the opportunity. You can do this. And, I, and you're already sacrificing. You're here on the wall. But what I'm saying to you is, I want you to take it a step further. And not only will, am I asking you to do it, Nehemiah says, I'm doing because I and my brothers, we've also, we haven't charged interest, 
but we've also mortgaged out properties. And, and he says, right now, I'm going to give it back. Now, here's what's so beautiful about this picture. <coughs> Quickly, sacrifice is required by all of us, right? At this, verse 13, the whole assembly said, amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Here's what's happening. Not only did they get the interest back, not only did um, the, 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 the work almost stop the mission and be reunited, Nehemiah says they got back to work on the wall. That's what a good leader does. But here's what else happened. They got their interest back. The work returned, verse uh, 13b. They also got their joy back. And at this, not just the poor, not just the victimized, not just the rich, the whole assembly said, amen, and they praised the Lord, the people did, uh, and the people did, I'm sorry, as they had promised. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of us, don't raise your hand, in and out of the church, Christians, who have lost their joy somewhere along the way. Maybe you've been a Christian 10 years, maybe you've been a Christian your, your whole adult life or as a young person, and somewhere along the road you lost your joy. I'll tell you why. It's right here. Because somewhere along the road, I'm not talking about bad and awful versus good and wonderful. I'm talking about something other than the mission that God has called you to. Something that being a part of something that is bigger than yourself or, or, or your own uh, uh, you know, uh, comfort and well-being. Something bigger than yourself, which is what the mission of, in this case it was the wall, in our case it's reaching people for Jesus in this community. Something else has captured your imagination. Something else has become important. And you have stopped making a sacrifice for that something larger and as a result you've lost your joy and what Nehemiah does it's not about himself he's not trying to shame anybody he throw he says listen I'm going to change my behavior too but let's all remember right why we're doing this in the first place do you not fear God number one and number two let's remember the Gentiles that are out there because it is the people out in the streets, it's the people where you work, it's the people where I work, it's the people in our community who are great people, many of them, but they do not know the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus that you and I know as, that we take for granted. And the only way they're going to know it is when you and I start living our lives differently. And when you get involved in that, when you and I begin to make sacrifices, small and medium and large, for, let me tell you something, your joy will come back and God will do something amazing in the life of this church. That's what Nehemiah is doing. Quickly, very quick story. Illustrate this, how it's going on all over the world, even with our missionaries. Dave and Kathy Hicks, they were in this video. They're hanging out in married life. You can go say hello to them this week or today. They've been in and out of India for, since the late early 70s. Their son and daughter-in-law have been doing it for the last 15 or 20 years as well. But they've been kicked out a few times. And most recently, they were in Nepal just this summer. And this summer, they were in Nepal and they're working with uh, church planters uh, throughout that region in, in, in South Asia. And all those floods happened. Some of you may remember. There's been so many crises in 17 and 2017, it's hard to remember. But the bit, some of the biggest crisis, uh, floods happened in, in northern India, Bangladesh, uh, Nepal, and that area of northern, the northern continent of India. And uh, uh, millions of people, August of 2017, some of you may remember, were displaced. Over 18,000 primary schools were closed. Over almost 2 million students, it's just one crisis, never went back to school after August, late August of 2017 and probably still haven't been back to school because of these floods. 1,200 people were killed. And while Dave and Kathy were in Nepal, 
one of their leaders you know, came from northern India, the, in Calcutta area, and said, listen, this is what we saw firsthand. And they work with a Christian fellowship there in Calcutta, and they said, listen, the fellowship that you work with, um, many of these leaders, six of them in particular, their homes have been completely washed away, and they named them. One of those guys, I think we have a picture of him here this morning. Dave shared the story with me. His name is Shamalia, if I'm saying his name right. One of these guys got caught up in the flood and, and was in this flood fighting for his life for three hours, right? Got caught up in, in, uh, near the Kolkata border in, in, with Bangladesh. Finally got out and lived to tell the story. Now, Dave and Kathy, of course, were... were, were uh, you know, um, uh, uh, activated to try to raise some money. And they raised thousands of dollars very quickly, and they came back to this man, Shamalia, one of their pastors, and said, listen, we've raised enough money for this, you and the five other leaders that we support, pastors. We've raised enough money so all of you can rebuild these modest brick homes. Here you go. And he took the money, and he said, thank you. I'll, uh, uh, let me talk to these men. He was, you know, very grateful. And he came back with a counter-proposal. And he said, listen, if, if it's okay with you, um, yes, we all lost our homes, but we have a total in our little community here of um, 22 people that have lost their homes. And we figured out we can take this money, and instead of building six homes, multi-room with brick, we can build modest two-room homes out of tin, and we can get all this done. Would you mind if we use the money that way? Isn't that unbelievable, Right? Now think about it. Not only was Dave and Kathy, of course they said yes, and of course they were blown away by that, by that sacrifice. But think about the hundreds of people, Hindu, in these communities who would have heard that story and saw that sacrifice that these people made, these pastors even made, so that all 22 of these people could have a home rebuilt, right? This is what it's all about, guys, right? All of us, some of us in this room, we're the nobles and the officials, right? Some of you have means more than others, right? And what I think this passage says to us, where much is given, much is required, right? You know what? I don't know what the equivalent is of not charging interest in, in, in repatriating back people's uh, uh, properties, but in other words, whatever the sacrifice is, it's time to step it up. But you know what? Everyone in this passage is, a is making a sacrifice. If at the beginning of this chapter, if these people, the men and their wives, said, listen, we're out, we can't do this anymore, we're going back home just to survive, if they left the project, Nehemiah, the nobles, the officials, and all the money in the world would have never, ever finished this project. It took everybody. And everybody sacrificed what they could. As Paul says later in the New Testament, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. Some gave more time. Some lent their husbands or their wives out on the wall for months while they found a way to get by. Some gave more money. Some did without interest. But all were called to a greater sacrifice. And it's only when we start really cutting down to the bone a little bit in our own lives and demonstrating that where we live, right, that we're going to be able to, we're, God's going to see, we're going to see people attracted uh, to the gospel in the way that it was meant to be. Unity is essential for the success of the mission. Greater sacrifice will be required by all. Lastly, we need to choose to live 
out of reverence for God. So look how this passage ends, verse 14. Again, this is a history, right? He didn't write it while it was happening. But Nehemiah, I want you to know something. He's given you a testimony under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, listen, this situation, this sacrifice that I made and I asked everyone to make, it wasn't a one-off. It was a way of life. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor, right, sort of a, sort of a you know, he's given you a, a quick uh, uh, overview. When I was appointed uh, in the land of Judah until the 32nd year, 12 years, he's telling you something. This wasn't a one-off. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, right? Some things have never changed, right? Governor gets nice food. But the early governors... Those preceding me placed a heavy burden on the people and they took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. It's not unusual. It's common. It's normal. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, watch this, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. Right? That's what it's really all about. It's about unity. It's about making sacrifices. It's saying, listen, it's the most important thing, right? Is I'm going to live out of reverence to God. I'm going to live out of the audience of one. I serve God in most, in, in serving God in this community meant serving his larger purposes. They were given a very simple task. It was to build the wall, but it wasn't simply a capital project. The capital project represented the reinstitution, the recommitment, the revival of the name of God in this community. That's what it represented. And he said, listen, I'll tell you my number one worry, Nehemiah says, verse 9, he says, it's what the outside world thinks about the integrity of our faith. That's what's most important. And I'm saying to you, not just me, not just rich people, I'm saying to everybody in this large meeting, we all need to do whatever it takes to make sure that this mission is successful. But what I love about this, what's so encouraging to me, I think it's first uh, uh, end of verse 13, says, listen, and the whole community said, amen. Thank you for resetting our hearts and resetting our priorities for what really matters. Because what really matters is that I'm serving wherever, I, wherever my role is in the community where God wants me to be okay I'm way over time but I want to read something I hope it's inspiring when we're done I had lunch with a friend from church member of my small group who works with the refugee community His name is Dave Bavard now if you knew Dave you know him working with refugees is like me I don't know what the equivalent would be I don't know starting for the bills today or something in other words he 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 was not built for this particular um, work. But God called him into it about a year and a half ago. And it's changed his life. And I had breakfast with him this week and I just asked him some questions. And as he was talking to me, he started to tear up. And he wrote me this note just a couple days ago. One of the questions you asked me, Rob, was how I saw myself getting into this work. I told you that I looked at the ministry and life of Christ and how his desire was to be among the, the poor and the needy, those who were broken. He said, Rob, this is crazy to admit, because you know me. But my heart is to be with the messy, to try to figure out a path forward for them. Messy makes me tired, weary, and I want to shut out the world. But it also makes me the most alive I have ever been. And it makes me want to shout from the mountaintops 
about God's glory and his mercy. I just know I need every day for God to show me what is the right action to take. This is what Nehemiah is doing, right? What a great, he said, listen, I'm going to live without some things, right? I'm going to live out of reverence for God. That's what I'm going to do. And there are things I could do and I and are absolutely, honestly, legal, fair, and, and appropriate. But I'm not going to let those things get in the way. And I'm going to make whatever sacrifices are necessary. I'm going to live out of reverence for God and I'm going to trust him to meet my needs, to protect us, and ultimately to accomplish this mission. And while that's happening and when that happens, you discover the joy that's at the heart of the Christian faith, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let me remind you just again, as Karen said, uh, we, got a lot of, we got a lot to do right here in our own backyard. But we can learn from the men and women who are frankly just like us, which you'll discover, who serve in uh, different parts of either this city or around the world, like India. And I hope you'll take some time, right? Uh, if you want to go on a short-term trip, Tuesday night there's a gathering. Uh, it's one of many things. I- I'd encourage it, nudge you. Saturday, if you want to you 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 see the world come to you, uh, Karen mentioned it, we have a ministry. Uh, we partner with the Rochester International Academy, which is, um, you may not even know it's there, right? It's, it's, the, it's the invisible world right in, hidden in plain sight. It's the mission field hidden in plain sight that is the global mission field. 450 students from, I don't even know how many countries. I've been there just a few times. All over the world are there. All, I mean, the stories that, would, that you see on the newspaper, they're right here in, in the... Uh, in uh, the old Jefferson, I think, or whatever, high school down there on the west side. If you want to be a part of seeing some of them for a day, Saturday, there's uh, an opportunity to serve and just hang out for a couple hours and serve this community. Let's pray.